Dr. Uh, Marianne, she just is amazing and um, just such a support. And the work that she's doing in Step by Step um, is just been amazing because there's so much sacrifice in this work. There's so much that has been poured into this work. There's so much, um, you know, intent that has been put in to make sure that something can be delivered at a quality level for all of our kids and communities near and far. So I just don't want to, you know, negate the opportunity to be able to um, edify her and the work that she does. The same person you see in these 15 minutes that is passionate about the program is the same person who assesses the kids, tutors, teaches teaches tutors, teachers, teachers, just all this, the same person, right? It's the same love and, and, and passion. And the thing that you mentioned at the beginning that you empower um, and, and encourage, I think is so powerful because I think it speaks to who you are as a person and that that's the part that people should connect to. And that's the part that people should realize needs the sponsoring and the support to continue this work in the world. So continue to do an amazing job. I um, stand for you and I just, you know, support you as much as, you know, as we can. Hi, thanks for tuning in to our Dyslexia Solutions podcast. I'm Dr. Marianne Sintron, founder of Step-by-Step Dyslexia Solutions. So I bring peace to parents by helping their dyslexic children read so that we can build their self-esteem, help them unlock their genius minds, and allow them to achieve success in school and in life. So the reason for this podcast is to interview parents of dyslexic children and we interview dyslexic adults, and I also talk from my heart. And the reason this podcast is important is we want to raise awareness of what dyslexia is so that you have knowledge, because knowledge is power. And we want to let you know that you're not alone in your situation. So thanks again for tuning in, and here we go with our special guest for the day. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Dr. Marianne Sintron, founder of Step-by-Step Dyslexia Solutions. I have a very special guest with me today. Her name is Donna Garrett, and I'm so excited because we actually grew up in the San Fernando Valley, not together, but pretty much in the same time area. And I've recently met her. She has an exciting story about being a, a dyslexic adult and having dyslexic children. So we're going to talk a little bit about the genetic component of that and what kind of support she received or didn't receive when she was going through school and what about her children. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. The reason we have this YouTube is to uh, reach out to dyslexic adults to let you know you're not alone in your situation and dyslexic uh, parents of dyslexic children to also empower you with tools to help your children today. And we're learning that dyslexia is a trait of genius. So we want to unlock the genius mind of the dyslexic person. So Donna, I want to welcome you to this stage. Hello. (laughs) 
Would you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit more? Something I didn't share, perhaps? Sure. Um, so, yes, my name is Donna Gargett. I currently live in North Carolina, and I have uh, two daughters. And um, I wasn't identified with dyslexia until my 20s when I um, really found some awareness because of a TV show and decided to get myself tested. And so um, from that, I was able to just understand a little piece of dyslexia, but I don't think I really fully dived into what dyslexia is until I noticed my daughter, as soon as she entered the school system, it was like looking at a mirror. And so I thought, well, I think we need to get her tested. And um, she was also dyslexic. And then um, my children are only 15 months apart. So as soon as the other one um, got in the school system, um, she was actually struggling a lot more. So it was pretty easy to see that she was also dyslexic. Um, but it's been, you know, a little bit of a struggle with advocating for them. Um, so much so that I also founded a nonprofit called Blank Canvas Awareness Art to help fill some gaps in the community here. That's great. How how old were the were your daughters when they were put into they had IEPs? So my um, oldest, it took a little bit longer to get that process going, and I guess because I was still learning myself, um, and so I think she was about seven. Um, and then my youngest, as soon as she started kindergarten, we had her up and running. <laughs> You know, so. so talk to the audience about the benefit of re- identifying this early and giving your child the support earlier, if possible. So, yes. Um, I mean, my biggest concern really has always been their self-esteem. Um, and that's why we really build that into the nonprofit as well. Because uh, I know growing up, you know, I struggled, but I still you know, survived. I don't know if that's the word, but, you know, we don't want to be able to survive school. We want to be able to enjoy school. And so when they, you know, started school and I saw them struggle, I learned so much more that, you know, there, there is a way that they can learn. um, That's, you know, something that can be specialized. And I wanted to see how we could provide that. But what I found out was the school system doesn't provide the specialized tutoring that they so need um, and not, you know, teachers just aren't educated with all of the information. Um, And so that's where the nonprofit trying to fill those gaps. But the benefits, you know, really is just one, I think, self-identifying, just knowing and taking a look at, well, what are my needs educationally? And learning at a young age to start advocating for yourself, because I think, you know, as an adult, I didn't ask for the things that I needed, even in the workplace. And so we help adults and children with our nonprofit. And, you know, I think it's really important to make sure that you grow up knowing, you know, these are my strengths and these are my needs. And, you know, I'm really great at, you know, creative and problem solving. But I really need technology to help me get through my day to day. And I use it every day. Um, <laughs> you know, I love Grammarly. I don't know how I survived before that. <laughs> mm. But, you know, I think that's the biggest, the biggest 
um, hurdle is making sure that we're we're kind of protecting their self-esteem along the way. Talk about, I, I agree. I think unlocking uh, the genius starts with helping them read so that we can build their self-esteem. Because when kids aren't reading, they just feel dumb and they're not. They're very creative. I know one thing I share is that we weren't born with a reading brain like we were to see and hear, but we have many brain parts that work together. And that's why we like that multi-sensory reading approach where we're pointing and speaking and saying letter names and letter sounds and moving. Um, and you know what gets my attention is kids with ADHD are a little bit trickier to teach if they have, if it's, we call it comorbid, existing with dyslexia. But um, if they're not identifying kids with dyslexia, but instead they're saying they have ADHD, talk to us about that. Yeah, so that's what I found to be true to, one, to get to the point of getting the IEP, you know, that they would recognize the ADHD, but maybe not put the word dyslexia in the IEP um, until I really fought harder and advocated harder and learned more about how to do that. (laughs) Um, But it shouldn't be that way. And really, um, you know, I think the dyslexia was is more it's more the issue, especially now that she's older, she's still struggling to learn to read. And so the school system, even though I was able to get the IEP um, early on, they still weren't able to fully address the issues. And so we're still behind, <laughs> you know, we're not at grade level. Um, And it's just because we don't have enough teachers to know how to provide those tools in the school system. Um, And they understand what ADHD is um, and understand that there may be some attention issues. And there definitely is, you know, even with her specialized tutoring, it's hard to keep her on task. Um, And you have to be a really talented tutor or teacher to redirect her and keep redirecting her. But she you know, sometimes there isn't always that eye contact, but she's taking it all in. Um, And, you know, it takes that understanding of understanding ADHD, but also understanding the component that, you know, those sounds aren't connecting, and we need to really focus on the science of reading. That's really good. We call it, um, well, the science of reading, and it's structured literacy, it's phonics, (laughs) You know, when I teach the kids um, OW, it, it can be, it can sound like ow in um, plow, and it can sound like o as in snow. So there is a little bit of, I, I don't want to say sight words because they are phonetic, but they need to look at the context of what, what the word, how the word's used to learn how to sound the words out. And um, I'm, in, I'm in an Orton-Gillingham practicum. And I'm still learning not to say it's tricky. <laughs> I want to say this is tricky, but I'm being taught. Don't say it's tricky because there's pho- it's phonics and it, it does make sense. They, we just have to learn how to teach them to make sense of it. You shared in another conversation we had about your other daughter having anxiety and yeah. how she got her IEP because of the anxiety, not because, well, and was it ADD also? No, so she has anxiety, she has dyslexia and dyscalculia. Okay. Um, 
And I would say for her, the anxiety and, you know, the struggle with math is, is, you know, her big hurdles, but they were able, it seemed like the school recognized the anxiety before they recognized the other areas. And so when you have your IEP meeting, you know, as a parent, making sure that they're hitting every point, (laughs) you know, every um, challenge that you're, you know, your child's having and making sure that we're addressing each of the issues and, and how we can make those accommodations. So for anxiety, well, that comes from she just needs a safe place in the in in the classroom to know that they're not going to call on her to read, you know, to help her not have to have a presentation or to be able to adapt her presentation to, you know, something where, you know, she's more comfortable with using the computer or just doing a slideshow or a Google slide or, you know, but still not having to read the slide that causes just so much anxiety. Uh, and so you know, through the IEP, I'm really feel like as a parent, I end up, and I shouldn't be as a parent, (laughs) educating the team on, you know, what we're really talking about and why the anxiety is there and how we could help her feel more comfortable. Because I've never met a teacher that didn't want to help their student. And it really is just, they're just don't understand um, what that's like. And so for me as a parent, but also someone that's dyslexic, I fully understand my children and I feel like I can advocate for them in a a different way than some other parents maybe. So, Well, and I've had a parent tell me once that her daughter developed an anxiety, uh, an ulcer. It was an adult, it it was dyslexia induced ulcer because of the anxiety. And I think what you're um, advising the teachers and the parents to do, um, the parents need to advocate for their kids, but they could let the teachers know, let her know what she's going to be asked to read and give her some options or, or uh-huh. the son or daughter, what, how they can present orally and be creative. Let them use that creative outlet that they have. Yes. And my daughter is very aware of her feelings and she's already self-advocating. So I'm very proud of her. She went to her first IEP meeting. I think she was in fourth grade um, and was able to put, you know, give her own input. So I was very proud of her for that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's really important for kids to be empowered and you know, have an adult to talk to before they get to the IEP meeting, you know, what are you going to ask for? What should we ask for? What, what are your needs? And, and, you know, this is the time of year to really have those conversations, you know, with kids. I know there's a lot of anxiety just in general for any child, just because of the pandemic and some maybe were homeschooled and now they're going back. I know mine are you know, we're not going to be able to keep up with homeschool just because of work life going back to normal. And I think there's a lot of families in in that situation, too. So, um, you know, I think it's a good idea for for families to kind of sit down and regroup and kind of talk it through and be able to have, you know, kids feel comfortable to practice with an adult of how do you advocate in the classroom for yourself? You know, you mentioned that a lot of the teachers really want to help their students. 
And I see that in two ways, how it related to me. I was a classroom teacher for 10 years, um, an educator for 22, but in the classroom for 10. And I remember seeing those bright students and they just couldn't read or write. And I was learning things in my teaching programs that I would try, but they just seemed to learn at a slow pace. And it wasn't until I learned about dyslexia when I was earning my second master's and I joined the International Dyslexia Association. And they were the ones that told me all the specifics about dyslexia. And then in my own research, I learned about music and the value of playing music in the left ear when a dyslexic child is learning. And oh my gosh, I started seeing children move at a faster pace. Because as a teacher, we're like, oh, it's so slow. You know, one student needed tubes in his ears because he was hearing as if he was underwater and the school passed him off. Oops, you just froze. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to keep on recording. Um, the school passed it off that his hearing was fine and it wasn't. So he got some help. And um, the teachers are always looking deeper. How can we help our students? And then the other thing I think about for teachers is their plates are so full. There's always benchmarks and new students and, you know, reporting grades. And there's so much work given to the teachers that they don't want to learn about dyslexia too, you know. And a lot of the, the teachers who have that act, active involvement in sports or, you know, they're involved in extracurricular things at school. They don't have time to add something else to their plate, especially when they have a family at home. So I just, you know, really want to encourage parents, look at the International Dyslexia Association and also Decoding Dyslexia because we have conferences and we have wonderful speakers who tell you about dyslexia and let you know what you can do for your children. We're always trying to invite parents. Look in your local communities for the International Dyslexia Association. Tell us about your nonprofit, Donna. I just love the whole idea of the canvas, the artsy feel to it. Yeah, so it's titled Blank Canvas Awareness Art. And the idea came from that unlocked potential, kind of looking at that blank canvas and what are you going to put on it, right? And so that's where I got the idea of the name. And it became tricky on how do we educate the community about what dyslexia is. And so, you know, I'd go to the library and do different presentations, but people weren't coming. But they definitely came to an art show where I invited the community to participate to help explain what are the warning signs for dyslexia. And so we found kind of our niche of, you know, bringing the community together and educating them, but also giving an outlet to adults and children to you know, show off what are their talents, what are their strengths, and, you know, art is always a positive platform, and um, we were able to do that in the community, and so it's grown from there. At the time, we established the nonprofit. We were in Jacksonville, North Carolina, which is more of a rural kind of area, and, um, you know, we felt like we had to fill a lot of gaps, so we were providing tutoring and education, advocating, and mentoring. Uh, we've since um, stepped back from our tutoring, but we do have a therapist that we brought on board. <clears throat> so we still have our acronym team, <laughs> um, which is nice. But we, you know, like I said, I, I really believe, and my background is mental health. And so 
our tagline is love your difference. You know, we want children and adults to really um, value themselves and be supported with their self-esteem and their self-image. So we provide support to adults in the community that um, are struggling maybe in the workforce and, you know, need some more assistance. I mean, there's so much technology now, but I think a lot of us um, don't always know what direction to go. I know myself, I struggled in the workforce and not having the right tools. And so, you know, teaching not just children, but adults to self-advocate and to know what tools to ask for. Okay, so you're another wonderful resource for parents. If they need to know, what do I do next? They, you know, to help my child, they would email you or call you. What, what number or email should they reach out to you with? So you can, um, we have a website and it's just blank canvas awareness art. Um, you can search us that way. We have a Facebook page. We're on Instagram under dyslexia art. And, um, you know, a lot of times parents reach out trying to find out what is the first step? How do we get testing? Um, so in North Carolina, we are a, a big support for a lot of families with, you know, what are the steps and how do I get there? So they can definitely reach out to my email, donna.gargett, B-C-A-A, at gmail.com. Um, so, yeah. Okay. You know, one of the things that I offer as well is screening. I, I won't call, well, Rick, you know, I've been an educator for 22 years working with dyslexia for 18. So um, I do a screening that is so closely resembling what a, what a psychologist would, would do. So people can get a more affordable screen if they want to reach out to me. Um, okay. But I know that there's wonderful resources in you. And um, I thank you. We're, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. I want to thank you so much, Donna, for your time. And for our audience, just keep on listening to our podcast. We continue to have very resourceful um, speakers on. If I may also end with a little commercial of two of my recent books that just are published on Amazon. One of them is um, Prisms of Brilliance. And it talks about uh, closing the achievement gap, stopping the school to prison pipeline, because 35% of children who drop out of high school are dyslexic. Where do they go? They go into prison and they go into crime. They go into gangs if they don't have that support from their parents. And so I want to see no illiteracy here in this, in this, in our prisons. We have um, 88% of the juveniles in our court system, juvenile court system, are, are illiterate. And 66% of the people in our prisons are illiterate. They can't read above a fourth grade level. The other book right off the press is Dyslexia, a Trait of Genius, How to Unlock the Brilliant Mind of Your Dyslexic Child. So those are both available on Amazon. I'm so excited. Let those be a resource for you as well. for listening to this podcast in its entirety. If what we shared today has inspired you, would you please visit our website, dyslexia-solutions.com. 
and consider making a donation so that we can keep these podcasts going. Also, please subscribe to our channel and find me on, on Instagram, Marianne Sintron. Thank you again for tuning in and may God bless you.